I speak to you in the name of one God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. The National Museum for Peace and Justice opened to the public in 2018 in Montgomery, Alabama. It's the nation's first memorial dedicated to the legacy of enslaved black people, people terrorized by lynching, people humiliated by racial segregation. One of the museum's founders is Brian Stevenson, a lawyer and the author of Just Mercy. I mentioned him in a sermon a few weeks ago. He explained in a recent interview that as a way to memorialize documented victims of racial violence and to foster meaningful dialogue about race and justice, the museum invites community members to go to various lynching sites with a jar to gather soil, the name of the lynching victim, and a memo about the person and the lynching that took place. And in the interview, Stevenson told the story of a middle-aged African-American woman who got her jar and memo and traveled out to the site of a lynching that took place in West Alabama. The site was on a remote dirt road, and as she was digging soil and putting it into the jar, a big truck drove by with a white man behind the wheel. And the man just stared at her as he passed by. The woman watched the truck as it drove by her. She watched as it stopped about a hundred meters away, turned around and drove back to where she was digging. The man parked, got out of the vehicle and asked, what are you doing? The woman said, I'm digging soil because this is where a black man was lynched in 1937. I'm going to honor his life today. The woman started digging real fast because she was scared of what the man might say or do. But as she dug, the man just watched. And finally, he asked her if the paper she had talked about the lynching. She said it did and gave it to the man. And after reading it, he asked her, would it be okay if I helped you? She said yes, and the man got down next to her and started using his hands to dig the soil and place it in the jar. And as they were getting close to finishing, the woman noticed that the man's shoulders were shaking. And when she looked a little closer, she saw tears running down his face. She asked if he was okay, and the man replied, no, I'm not okay. I'm so worried my grandfather might have been one of the people who lynched that man. They both sat on the side of the road in tears. They ended up taking pictures of each other holding the jar, and the woman even brought the man back to the museum with her to put the jar in the exhibit. Read all by itself in our gospel lesson this morning, 
Jesus appears to lay out a universal process for solving conflict in the church. And yes, believe it or not, even the church has conflict. But in looking at the entirety of chapter 18, in which this passage is found, we can recognize the deeper ethic of restoration that Jesus calls us to. Our passage this morning is in fact sandwiched between parables from scripture that emphasize mercy and inclusion. At the very beginning of the chapter, Jesus urges his disciples to demonstrate concern for the children, the little ones, those who had the least amount of power within the community. He even puts a child in the middle of his disciples to demonstrate to them that if anyone is to put a stumbling block before the little one, it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck. It's a forceful charge against attitudes and practices that hinder human flourishing, especially those with little power. And right after this indictment, and right before our passage this morning, Jesus tells the familiar parable of the lost sheep who goes astray. How the shepherd leaves the other 99 sheep to seek out just the one. And just as the child matters to Jesus, the sheep, separated, vulnerable, facing danger, matters to the shepherd. And last but not least, right after our story this morning comes the parable of the unforgiving servant the one where Peter asks Jesus how often he should forgive, and Jesus tells Peter that he should not only forgive someone seven times, but 77 times, implying a radical form of forgiveness. So the process of confrontation and accountability outlined in today's lesson should always be framed by mercy and it is best understood with careful attention to the disempowered and the vulnerable. When we read this passage in its narrative context, with all the other stories that make up chapter 18, we might understand that the primary function of this lesson is less about offering a universal three-step process of conflict resolution and more a way of protecting and being in solidarity with the disempowered and vulnerable. But this gospel also touches on yet another deeper value system. We hear that puzzling line where Jesus tells his disciples, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the scholarly consensus on binding and loosing is somewhere along the lines of how a community defines its boundaries, how it handles conflict, how it determines matters of doctrinal dispute. It's the authority granted to communities to deal with their issues. And underneath these matters of how a community determines its boundaries and how it chooses to settle disputes, there's a whole set of prior assumptions, interests, and power relations those values we choose to bind ourselves to 
and those we decide to loose ourselves from. Chapter 18 describes the foundational values and practices that characterize a Christian community from others. Solidarity with one another as children of God. Avoiding actions that cause others to stumble. Care for the most vulnerable. Restoration of those who have been separated from the community and who have gone astray. And abundant forgiveness. In living out these practices, the community embodies God's kingdom of heaven on earth and Jesus is present among us. The point of all of this is not that the church has special authority, but that whenever the church does exercise authority, it must do so with constant attention to those without power. In its binding and loosing, the Christian community is called to defend the interests of the vulnerable. It needs to create a space that allows for forgiveness and restoration so that all members, especially those at the bottom, can flourish. The process that Jesus puts forth in our lesson today lays the groundwork for what we might call restorative justice. In honestly confronting his grandfather's likely involvement in the lynching of a black man in 1937, the man in Stevenson's story began the process of loosening the shackles of racism and violence. He began the process of binding himself to being in relationship and solidarity with those who are disempowered. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18 outlines a type of justice focused on restoration of dignity and wholeness rather than punishment. The steps in our gospel lesson are meant to restore those who have gone astray to right relationship with the community. At its core, this is a passage about reconciliation. It's about being liberated from those things that hold us back from growing into deeper relationship with each other and with God and binding ourselves to a language of love and morality as we seek restoration with God and with one another. I wonder if the church might just be the perfect place to model this kind of reconciliation, not only for our own sake, but for our community, our country, and our world. Amen.